Join Global Gene September 18th and 20th in San Diego for the 2019 Rare Patient Advocacy Summit as the largest gathering of rare disease patients, caregivers, thought leaders, and other rare disease stakeholders in the world, the summit is an unparalleled opportunity to forge meaningful connections with other rare advocates and take home actionable strategies and tools to accelerate change. To learn more or to register, go to globalgenes.org forward slash PA summit. That's globalgenes.org forward slash PA summit with the P, A, and S in Summit, all uppercase. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Pediatric and primary hyperalexoria is a rare genetic condition that causes overabsorption of oxalate, a compound found in many foods. Too much oxalate can lead to the formation of kidney stones and cause progressive damage to the kidneys. Alana Pharmaceuticals is developing an oral enzyme to treat both the rare form of hyperalexoria and a more common form of the condition. We spoke to Louis Brenner, CEO of Alana about the company's experimental therapy to treat hyperalexoria, its platform for developing enzymes that can be delivered orally, and the potential to apply the technology beyond kidney diseases. Lou, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Elena Pharmaceutical, the kidney disease hyperalexoria, and your effort to develop an experimental oral enzyme to prevent the formation of kidney stones and long-term complications. Let's start with oxalate, though. What is it? Where does it come from? And in a healthy person, what happens to it? Great, great question to start with. So oxalate is a very simple, small molecule uh, that is ever-present in nature. It is a two-carbon dicarboxylic acid, Uh, with a double negative charge. It is ever-present in food, uh, so we ingest it when we eat food, uh, especially plants. Uh, And then it's also uh, a result of metabolic byproduct of metabolism of some carbohydrates as well as amino acids. So in the body, uh, we get a significant daily source of oxalate uh, from the food we eat, uh, including fruits and vegetables and nuts and chocolate and tea, for instance. Uh, and then we also generate some oxalate in our liver uh, from normal metabolic processes involving carbohydrates as well as amino acids. You're pursuing treatments for a number of kidney conditions. Your lead product candidate is in development for two forms of hyperalexoria, both an adult form and a rare pediatric genetic form. What is that and how does it manifest itself? How does it progress? All right. Uh, so... In normal metabolism, people uh, handle oxalate smoothly. Uh, either it's ingested and absorbed in the food, or it is generated in the liver, and then it ultimately leaves the body through the kidney. 
humans lack the capacity to further degrade oxalate. It is a two-carbon dicarboxylic acid. And so we excrete it uh, via the kidney primarily or in some small amounts in the GI tract. Um, Calcium and oxalate are very stable when they're together. Uh, So you might hear of calcium oxalate. Uh, And when plants use calcium and oxalate for stable storage of calcium, a double positively charged calcium and a double negatively charged oxalate. When we eat plants, we separate those out, uh, and then essentially they come back together, potentially in the kidney, to form uh, crystals or in the more severe uh, manifestations of the disease, they can actually form kidney stones and ultimately lead to kidney damage and kidney failure. Uh, that basic uh, physiology and pathophysiology leads to two major branches of disease conditions associated with oxalate. Uh, the first, and uh, by far the most common, is what's called secondary hyperoxaluria. So uh, you have a secondary cause uh, that's non-genetic, uh, usually related to the diet or perhaps related uh, to metabolism, uh, where you uh, have too much oxalate leaving the body via the kidney, leading to crystallization in kidney stones. Kidney stones are very common. Uh, they occur in about 10% of the population. Uh, and in that setting, about 70 to 80% are due to calcium and, and especially calcium oxalate. Um, in severe forms of the condition, people can have an underlying gastrointestinal disease associated with inflammation or malabsorption due to either medical diseases like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or celiac disease or they can have a surgical condition, for instance, short bowel syndrome or bariatric surgery for obesity. And each of these conditions can predispose to excess absorption of oxalate, and that oxalate uh, has to eventually leave through the kidney, and that's the disease that we focus on in the Lena that's called enteric hyperoxaluria. There's also a smaller subset of patients, uh, estimated around 5,000, uh, with a form of the disease due to a genetic condition of the liver, uh, there are several different enzymes that are associated with primary hyperoxaluria, and these enzymes uh, are, are usually due to a genetic predisposition. You manufacture excess oxalate, and that disease can manifest uh, especially in children when they have the most severe form of the disease called primary hyperoxaluria type 1 or PH1. Uh, and we're also uh, in development to, to understand uh, that patient population better. Um, our focus, uh, realistically, is on enteric hyperoxaluria because the mechanism of action of our drug, raloxolase, is uh, to work in the GI tract. Uh, and in the patients with enteric hyperoxaluria, those patients have a disease that starts or is due to a condition in the GI tract. So in terms of our focus and our development, uh, we're putting most of our resources and attention to patients with enteric hyperoxaluria, uh, which can lead to kidney stones, kidney damage, and kidney failure. In the case of the rare genetic form, how are patients generally diagnosed? Um, In each of these conditions, um, the most common manifestation uh, is a kidney stone. Uh, So you may hear in the form of either enteric hyperoxaluria or primary hyperoxaluria that uh, someone shows up either with uh, a significant burden of kidney stones, in the case of children earlier in life than expected kidney stones, uh, or more frequent kidney stones. So that's kind of one, one clue that you can often see. Some patients have um, deposition not in the form of macroscopic kidney stones, but microscopic crystals. And some patients can actually present with, with frank renal failure, what we call chronic kidney disease. So some patients actually um, 
will show up uh, with unexplained renal failure as well, and that can occur in children as well. You're developing a, an experimental oral enzyme called veloxylase. With, what is it, and, and how does it work? Yeah, so veloxylase is an oral, uh, non-absorbed uh, enzyme um, that is uh, naturally occurring in uh, bacteria and other species. Uh, so it, it does come from uh, natural sources, and that's how we manufacture it. Um, Reloxolase refers to the enzyme as uh, developed and formulated to treat uh, these oxalate-based conditions. And what it does is that it works in the GI tract. It's actually delivered orally in a pill, um, and then it will break down oxalate in the gut uh, before that oxalate ever enters the body. Uh, and so if you're able to use the gut as a surface, essentially, to degrade oxalate before it gets absorbed, it never has to go through the kidney uh, and therefore, you have the potential to limit the damage that oxalate would do in the body. And today, how how is this condition treated? What what's the need that's not being met? Um, at present, we have uh, several strategies to try to treat oxalate disorders, but they're all indirect. Um, the most significant uh, option at our disposal, and I'm a kidney specialist, so I have treated some of these patients. Uh, is to use hydration. So uh, the solution to uh, pollution is dilution. So if you give more water, for instance, and you try to decrease the concentration in the kidney and the urine, uh, that's one of our best strategies to try to treat these conditions. Um, the In patients with enteric hyperoxyuria, which is the disease we focus on with veloxylase, uh, because these patients have underlying GI disease, uh, often associated with chronic diarrhea, uh, that hydration option is not as uh, viable because in these cases of chronic diarrhea, if you give them more water by mouth uh, to drink, they're just going to have more diarrhea. So that's kind of one of the challenges. The, the second strategy, because these stones are, and these crystal deposits are made of calcium and oxalate, is to try to treat the calcium itself. Um, and by doing that, we use a class of drugs called thiazide diuretics oftentimes. Uh, and these are commonly available diuretics uh, that cause, uh, as part of their mechanism, uh, to hold on to calcium in the body. They're actually an early generation treatment of osteoporosis, for instance. And so by limiting the calcium excreted in the urine, there's less calcium available to pair with the oxalate, uh, and that's one way to reduce the precipitation of these crystals. Uh, other strategies include uh, the use of citrate, uh, which is a replacement to try to add alkaline material or base uh, to alkalinize the urine so that it's uh, less uh, hospitable for stones to form. Uh, another strategy would be to use minerals that are positively charged, calcium, magnesium, for instance, uh, to try to bind up the negatively charged oxalate in the gut, so some form of calcium supplements or magnesium supplements, for instance. Uh, and then the last strategy, which is uh, difficult to uh, hold to, is to try to uh, significantly reduce the oxalate in the diet. Um, there are lists of uh, foods and the amount of oxalate in them. On a practical level, plants are especially rich in oxalate, uh, things like green leafy vegetables, for instance. And so on a practical level, if you're eating a healthy diet, it's very difficult to reduce the amount of oxalate that you ingest. The efficacy of the drug is, I take it, dependent on delivering it to the GI tract. How challenging is it to deliver an enzyme orally? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one of the holy grails in uh, the industry of 
you know, drug development is to try to deliver protein-based therapeutics that are active orally. Uh, as you probably know, we have a lot of uh, oral small molecule therapeutics. Uh, we have injectable or infusible protein-based therapeutics, uh, so-called biologics, uh, but we don't have many oral biologics, drugs that are delivered uh, orally and then work uh, as a biologic. One of the major barriers to that is the GI tract itself. When you eat food, we have a variety of digestive enzymes that are designed to break down proteins the way that you would digest food. Uh, so there's kind of an inherent barrier to using the gut uh, to provide oral protein therapy. In the case of raloxolase, the drug is actually a crystal. Uh, the crystals are macromolecules that are uh, resistant to some of the proteases that are in your uh, GI tract. Uh, and importantly, it's active as a crystal. So the traditional teaching on enzymes or oral proteins uh, is that they need to be soluble. Uh, but once they're soluble, they're subject to proteolytic uh, degradation or cleavage by uh, enzymes in the gut associated with digestion. In the case of aloxolase, it's an oral crystal and it's functional and active in the gut as a crystal. And so that's one of the key ways that we're able to have it work. Uh, the other is that the compartment where oxalate is uh, first liberated uh, when it's eaten is the upper part of the GI tract. We're talking about the lower part of the stomach uh, near the pyloric valve, as well as the upper small intestine. Uh, and because uh, this is the early part of the GI tract before a lot of the digestion has happened, uh, the enzyme-substrate interaction, the oxalate and the raloxolase, can come together uh, and have those uh, substrate enzyme interactions in the upper GI tract. Where are you in development, and what do we know about the safety and efficacy of raloxolase today? Yeah, great great question. So the Elena has been uh, around for approximately eight years, um, and it has progressive learning uh, associated with the development of the molecule. Uh, we are currently running uh, multiple phase three studies for patients with enteric hyperoxyuria. Uh, which for a small company that really started from the early stages to get to this point uh, is something that we're quite uh, proud and excited for. Um, we are focusing our development and our resources on patients with enteric hyperoxyuria, the gut-based condition associated with kidney stones and kidney failure. Um, and we are in the midst of two phase three studies, which we call Urirox-1 uh, and Urirox-2. Um, the Urirox-1 study uh, will read out its uh, top-line data for urinary oxalate reduction uh, in the second half of the present year. Uh, and then Urox 2 started late last year uh, is in the enrollment phase of that study now. What's the path forward if all goes well? And where, where uh, might so you if all goes well, uh, our excitement and uh, enthusiasm, and this is, a, I think, a, a good kind of paradigm for uh, what we try to do in, in our industry, uh, is that we've identified a group of patients, these patients with enteric hyperoxyuria, who have no treatment. They have a condition associated with chronic kidney damage, kidney stones, uh, and we are uh, working uh, in a uh, committed manner to bring them the first-in-class therapy. Um, we have multiple phase two studies that have been completed, uh, each of which uh, show a suggestion of um, activity and benefit in this patient population for the ability to reduce urinary oxalate. Um, and this has provided us the impetus uh, as well as the background for a regulatory accelerated approval pathway, uh, as well as helped us secure the necessary financing uh, to carry this through 
uh, where we are now in late stage development and ultimately begin our initial uh, plans for commercialization. Our goal, and maybe this is embedded in your question, uh, is to try to and be prepared to bring a first-in-class therapy uh, for a rare disease population that doesn't currently have any available treatment. You're also developing ALLN346. This is for patients with hyperuricemia or elevated uric acid. What causes that condition? Yeah, so that's um, the most uh, common term for that is, is gout, is one that you might have heard of. Um, so hyperuricemia or gout uh, refers to elevated levels of uric acid that are in the body uh, that can lead to deposition in the, uh, of uric acid crystals uh, in uh, the joints. The uh, kind of prototypical example of that is a gouty toe. It's usually the big toe, a condition historically that was called podagra. Uh, and with gout or hyperuricemia, you get deposition of the crystals in the joints. Uh, and it can lead to a significant amount of pain, arthritis, joint damage. Uh, you also can get a, a form of kidney damage and kidney stones uh, called uric acid stones or urate nephropathy. Uh, after calcium stones, these are the most common uh, form of stones. They probably represent around 10-15% uh, of uh, kidney stones. Um, and so for us, you see a common theme. Uh, we're treating crystal-based disorders, in the case of oxalate or in the case of urate, uh, that can cause uh, damage from metabolic processes, uh, ultimately leading to uh, kidney stones, kidney damage, uh, and uh, in some extreme cases, kidney failure. Uh, the enzyme itself uh, works to break down uric acid. The major difference between the programs, in the case of oxalate, we directly eat oxalate, uh, and in the uh, ALN-177 or reloxolase breaks down oxalate as part of the food. In the case of uric acid or hyperuricemia, uh, we don't directly eat it, but it is actually a byproduct of metabolism of nucleic acids. For instance, DNA uh, synthesis and DNA recycling uh, are parts of the purines, which are part of the building blocks of DNA and RNA. So as we recycle these uh, building blocks for nucle nucleic acids, uh, you generate uric acid or urate as a byproduct. Um, and so one of the common causes of this, for instance, shellfish um, and alcohol, spe specifically wine and beer, uh, can lead to high uh, levels of uric acid. What the enzyme does, and similar in principle to reloxolase, what ALN346 uh, does is works in the gut uh, to degrade uric acid uh, and prevent some of the accumulation in the joints and in the tissues. Uh, we've presented preclinical data of this in the uh, rheumatology meetings uh, last fall uh, and are in the process of carrying through uh, manufacturing and preclinical development and plan to file uh, a first uh, IND, or investigation new drug with the FDA, uh, late this year uh, and be positioned to start our first human trials for that compound uh, next year. As you think about your technology and the ability to deliver an enzyme to the GI tract, how broadly applicable do you think this is, and, and what range of conditions might it be used to address? That's such a great question. Um, so uh, we are working, uh, and I think are starting to demonstrate the potential of this platform. Um, I don't know that I mentioned yet, but these Oral enzymes, as we have developed them um, and formulated them, uh, are non-absorbed. So they do their work in the gut, essentially using the 
gut surface, the gut membranes as essentially an auxiliary kidney, uh, where we can limit um, the systemic uh, exposure to these metabolic toxins by using the gut and prevent uh, the kidney, the liver, and other organs from having to handle them at high levels. Um, as we think about this, there's multiple potential uh, uses uh, to go after uh, rare metabolic diseases, for instance, where things, either amino acids or uh, carbohydrate byproducts accumulate in the body. Uh, and I'm sure uh, in the work that you've done, you've come across many of these diseases. So that's kind of one uh, broad set of targets. Uh, the other is that we are developing literally day by day now insights into the microbiome so that uh, set of bacteria that live in a commensal way uh, in our bodies and what uh, they do and what they signal. So we are uh, believing that there will be a series of additional microbial or uh, microbiome targets that will come up uh, over the next several years. Uh, and this enzyme uh, technology platform, we think, is one that we can use to go after it. Lewis Brenner, President and CEO of Atlanta Pharmaceuticals. Lewis, thanks so much for your time today. That was great. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Daniel. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.